Welcome to the Pocket Coven Podcast, where magic meets mental health. I'm Amber Lenore, a witch and licensed psychotherapist. I'm Callie Little, a sex educator and emotional support witch, and we're the coven in your pocket. Hello. Hi. Hello and welcome to the Pocket Coven Podcast, where we were just discussing how wonderful it is to be in creative collaboration because usually when one of us is tired the other one isn't yes yes although we're so good at being like juicy together which sounds so inappropriate for cousins (laughs) but like we always work well in tandem and uh, the reason right now it's so important for me is because I am, as a lot of you know, in the midst of moving house. So I'm moving from my relatively large apartment to a relatively tiny <laughs> apartment within a house. And holy shit, I am exhausted. Like moving is work. But moving into a place where you need to paint the ceilings, the walls, the floors, and pack up an entire life and move across town also. It's a pretty far move for me. It's a lot, dude. It's a fucking lot. I find moving purely trauma. I was thinking yesterday about how, you know, moving is considered one of the, like, hallmark most stressful parts of life, period. It's like... After divorce, it's the third stressor. Number one is like death of a loved one, divorce, moving. Right. I don't find it to be horrifically stressful in general. However, my chronic pain is flaring up super bad. Like I couldn't breathe yesterday without pausing because my ribs were so tight. Like it was really, really bad. But what I love about this process is like, purging the stuff that no longer is like working in my life, really paring down, organizing stuff, which, you know, it sounds very Virgo and everything, but generally I'm a messy ADHD bitch. And, um, this is a great excuse to force myself to do it. So I like that. Also we hired movers, so we're not going to be moving the heavy stuff, but the hard part is definitely the manual labor that's coming first. Yesterday was great because I got to have a break from manual labor really because we had a yard sale with our new housemates and you came and you hung out for a while. It was very cute. Callie gave me a seal and I got a very nice dish for my altar. Yeah, I gave you a vintage ceramic seal that I found at a recycling store and uh, it was filled with dead spiders. It's still filled with dead spiders. I need to clean it, but it's very cute. (laughs) I mean... You know, part of our witchcraft definitely has had a lot of dead animals involved in it. Constantly dead animals, it's true. I felt like the dead spiders, you know, I bought it not knowing. (laughs) But then I looked in the bottom and I was like, that's disgusting. And I'm going to leave it there also. I'm not taking responsibility for these dead spiders. (laughs) That was very witchy of you. Hi, I got you this. It's full of dead spiders. I love you. Thank you. Thank you. How did you know I needed dead spiders for my potions? (laughs) Uh, And you brought me an iced coffee, which was so fucking helpful. But luckily, in our creative collaboration, me and you, you have so many, like, we both have a lot of episodes that are more our individual wheelhouses that we're really excited to do. 
and you were so pumped to do this magician's mini series. Um, and I'm really excited to learn about today's topic, hermeticism and the alchemy of the self, because I don't really know anything about them. I want to tell you what I think of when I think of hermeticism. Fantastic. I would love to know. And I am so stoked, honestly, to tell you all the stuff. I haven't told Callie all of the things about alchemy. Like we haven't really geeked super hard. And I also always do extra research before every episode. So I have some really juicy tidbits. But yes, you start when I say alchemy or hermeticism, what comes to mind? Okay. Well, let's start with the first one you said, alchemy. When I think of alchemy, of course, I think of lead into gold. Um, and I think of a scientific process I don't understand. That's what I think about Mm -hmm. with alchemy. Mm -hmm. Hermeticism, my brain goes two directions. My ADHD pals know exactly this feeling where you have two thoughts simultaneously. Neither of them make sense. Um, Hermeticism, I think hermit. I think I'm sitting by myself, and I'm maybe like meditating, soaking up the juicy aloneness. And when I think of the word hermeticism, um, I only think of, what are they called? Freemasons. That's all I think of. I don't Mm -hmm. know if they're even related. Uh, they are related. They are related. Yes. Um, but they're not, they're not the same, but yeah, I mean that, that all tracks, you know, potions, scientific processes, secret societies, guys in robes doing pseudoscience. That's mostly what folks think about when they think of hermeticism and alchemy. And one of the biggest reasons I'm excited to talk about this, other than the cool history, is that one of my favorite facts about psychology is that all modern psychology comes from hermeticism. And that is, yeah. And I will paint you the picture of how we get to there (laughs) via Carl Jung, but we will get into that in a minute. So let's start off with what is hermeticism. A basic definition is that it is a mystical movement related to an ancient texts from the Renaissance. Wow. How (laughs) nonspecific. Yeah. I'm going to get more specific. All right, so we got to start with the 1460s in the Renaissance period. A manuscript was found in Greek, and it was said to contain the source of all wisdom, period. It was an ancient, ancient text from antiquity that was written by Hermes Trismegistus. I have a really hard time pronouncing his name. He was a hierophant. Oh, is it, is it, sorry, Mm-hmm. So Hermes, clearly hermeticism. Uh-huh. Um, what was his last name? Magistus? Trismegistus. Trismegistus. I wonder if that's yeah. like triple magician, like a triple oh. goddess type thing. Perhaps, perhaps. I mean, this is ancient Greece. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So this manuscript was found... And then an entire mystical movement was created around this ancient manuscript. It is so interesting what was inside of this manuscript. So again, this is all of the wisdom of the universe. 
And in it was the nature of the cosmos, the origin of evil, the process of change, the nature of the mind, psychology. Mm. Um, we have magic, alchemy, astrology, botany, processes of salvation. This is all called the Corpus Hermeticum. That is the ancient text. It possessed all of this ancient wisdom that was all woven together. So processes of botany, which is a science, was next to processes of ritual magic, for instance. Their perspective was that all of these things were inseparable. The Corpus Hermeticum was then divided by scholars later into basically occult and science. And this is the root of how we get to the separation between magic and science or mind and body. This is where things started to split in philosophy. Do you know if this started before or after the witch trials and the like witch hysteria took root? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I mean, it was written way, way, way before. And, right. Right. But it was discovered, I think, uh, what? I think witch hunts were in 14 something. Yes. So a quick Google says that really like the European witch trials started in like 1400 or so. So it sounds like this interestingly was like coming up a little bit into that time. That's interesting. Is It sounds like it also was a more masculine representation of magic. Somewhat, somewhat, yeah. I mean, it evolved over time and two cultures combined. So ancient Greece and ancient Egypt, there was a mm -hmm. ton of colonization and cultural exchange. And so the god Toth or Thoth, depending on how you pronounce it, became synonymous with Hermes, connected to Hermes, the same as Hermes, like brothers, like they became mm -hmm. the same sort of God because there was tons of synchronicities between ancient Greek religions and ancient Egyptian religions. So that was also why there was some, like a lot of peaceful exchange. There was horrible colonization also in war. And also they were able to synchronize and combine their belief systems essentially. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, oh, I feel like that in itself is such an interesting concept, especially with the current, you know, awareness around respecting tradition and not picking and choosing different cultures and smushing them together. But what a tangent that we're not going to go on today. I think that's correct. You know, and also I want to say that my study of these two cultures exchanging ideologies is only through the lens of hermeticism. So there could be sociopolitical dynamics and uh, events that happened that are actually, I assume that they happened that are quite oppressive with the small amount that we know about how this was built, that it seems to be built on more communal views of esotericism. And of course, we're leaving a lot of room to be wrong. We are not at all yeah. saying like any historical, probably men were, you know, really awesome. And also we're, we're just exploring the topic together and really trying to pay attention to the different aspects of it. So please, if you have thoughts about this, write into us because we would love to expand on this topic in the future. Yeah. Yeah. It's a confusing topic. So with the Corpus Hermeticum, 
the academy that is associated with Western esotericism, these scholars that are continuing to research these different uh, mystic traditions, they really put a lot of emphasis on the philosophical hermetica, the philosophy, because that is like more uh, respectable. You know, philosophy is taken seriously. There are certain parts of the Corpus Hermetica called the technical Hermetica, which includes magic, alchemy, botany, astrology, that are regarded as just kind of fucking garbage. Like, not really anything to be taken seriously, just superstitions. And there are many occultists, myself included, who are really trying to bring all of that back because the the folks that were practicing Hermeticism saw those as completely inextricable from each other, that philosophy and religion and um, magic and the material or natural world were all woven together. So you couldn't really separate them. And like I said earlier, they separated them. Academics separated magic from science. And then that has continued to happen. And I, I referred to that in our last episode around how magic has fallen into the shadow of both religion and science, that it's just not valued. It's seen as not useful. And I think that these these ancient peoples knew better. Well, yeah. I think that the modern witch is, or, you know, magical person, like whatever you want to call yourself, I think that we do see, see things very holistically because – how are you going to do witchcraft like and just never even involve a plant or the moon <laughs> you know i mean you can do you can do whatever you want you don't have to have herbs or anything in your magic but you most people do i don't know anybody who doesn't yeah yeah exactly and also we kind of are like part of the universe and also the planet so yeah we're, a religion or belief system or spiritual tradition that's built on discovery of self, like how are you going to also ignore the planet and the universe? Exactly. Exactly. And the separation of these things, the separation of spirit from plant, magic from the universe, the disenchantment of the world is what a lot of witches will refer to when the scientific revolution happened is that we became disenchanted. And again, I want to say this anytime I have an opportunity, they are not fucking mutually exclusive. You can Mm -hmm. absolutely value science without which none of us would be healthy and thriving today. Pretty sure the average life expectancy used to be like 28 or something. Like, thank goodness for modern medicine. That is not contrary to the belief and practice of magic at all. It's not necessary to take them apart. No. And, you know, the <laughs> any, any worshiping of the planet, of individuality, of free will, um, the, the beauty of the world devotion, um, any of that has to also look at the beauty of how the world interacts with us. You know, we love to think of ourselves as the keepers and like the lords of the land. We're not. We're just really weird animals. We're very strange. 
And that doesn't mean that we're very special. I do believe inherently each of us individually is very special, but as a species, we're just very average and fucked up. And like, how cool is it that when you get a burn, you know, there are all these plants that you can put on that burn that are going to help your body heal faster. Not to mention the million other things the the whole world does to interact with us. Like we're made of water and the planet is made of water. How crazy. We are part of this ecosystem. You cannot leave science out of spirituality in any religion. Like I'm very respectful that not everybody has the same beliefs as me, but you can't ignore science. Love science. Always going to um, stand science. Okay. <laughs> I stan it forever. <laughs> We're fangirls for science on this podcast. Oh my God. Love science and also love spirituality. And when they are combined, it's so beautiful. Just this morning, I was working with this couple and they were very stressed out and I needed to contain them. They, they couldn't stop talking. They couldn't regulate. They couldn't calm down. So I had them reach their hands to the ceiling and pull down a cauldron. And then they opened up their hearts or their mouth or whatever was oh. happening. And they took out the pain and they threw it in the cauldron. And then they took an imaginary wand from behind their back and they stirred the cauldron and they transmuted it. And then they pushed the cauldron back up to the ceiling. And then one of them said, why do I feel better? And I was like, well, <laughs> we just did some magic. And also the science of it is that your brain doesn't know the difference between rehearsed reality and real reality like we talked about last week. So look, you feel better, don't you? And this is my ax to grind with separating science and magic is we separate mind and body. We separate the somatic sensation. There was a scientific fucking reason that bringing that cauldron down worked, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That would have been called superstitious or that would have been called just play, just pretend. That's pseudoscience. It's pseudoscience. Right. No, we actually know why that works now. Why is no one talking about this? Why is no one talking about how science has actually validated magic? What the fuck? I'm so annoyed <laughs> that nobody is talking about it. That's why I'm talking about it. I think it would be nice to step into alchemy. What is alchemy? Mm -hmm. Alchemy was the process. They were trying to turn lead into gold. They really were trying to do that. They really thought that they could do that and they couldn't. Like that can't really happen that we know of. Um, and also it was their belief that one could not create gold unless oneself was in line with that process. So the process, the physical process they were going through with trying to turn lead into gold was a synchronistic process with the spiritual work that they were doing congruently with that, that science-y sort of aspect. So, okay. I know that they were literally trying to turn lead into gold. And also, you know, when we're talking about alchemy, I mentioned what I think of like off the top of my head, but also I know that, you know, transmutation is part of it. I know that transformation is alchemical. And when I think of magic and alchemy and mental health, which is just such a, like, I can't separate that from my magical practice. I think of how we have taken trauma and turned it into superpowers. Like we've talked about that on the podcast a little bit before, but you know, even yesterday I was speaking with some friends at the yard sale and we were talking about how 
when you grow up in an abusive home, um, you develop hypervigilance because it's a survival mechanism. But as an adult in healthy scenarios, hypervigilance, you know, when you have it under control, like it's still there because it becomes part of your brain's patterning. Instead of being vigilant about, you know, am I going to be safe right now? You are just extremely aware of like everybody around you, your surroundings, everybody's mood. And I didn't realize until a few years ago that not everybody has the ability to look at someone and know exactly how they're feeling because of that like tiny facial expression they made or their body language. And when I started expressing those things, people were like, oh my God, are you psychic? And I was like, no, I'm just like looking at that person. I, I'm just looking at you. I can just tell. But it's like this superpower. Other people view it as magical, you know, as this psychic thing when it's just pattern recognition. But we are turning lead into gold all the time. You know, resiliency, which we touched on recently, resiliency is a superpower. It is gold. And you can't, you can't get that kind of gold without the lead first, you know? Absolutely. It's really vital to the process. So I'd love to break down the stages of alchemy because that will mirror what you just said. So thank you for that. And before we get to that, I'd love to read something that I wrote when I was still in school and alchemy was used all the time when I was doing trauma theater. So here is my opening act for the Transformational Women's Circus 2018. The magnum opus, also known as the great work, is a term relating to alchemical magic. The magnum opus describes a process of working with the prima materia, the original material of the universe and transforming it into gold. Those of us familiar with magic understand that the magnum opus is the greatest alchemical transformation of all. We don't simply improve ourselves through the magnum opus. We transmute, we transform, we truly see, accept, and revere ourselves as the gold that we are. Engaging with the magnum opus connects us to our ancestors, with all who came before us seeking this enlightenment. Jungian psychology saw alchemy as a key factor in the process of understanding one's self as an individual, Jung understood the greatest magic of all is the process by which we come to know ourselves. How did you feel as I said that? I mean, <laughs> mainly I was thinking about how proud I am of you and how I've been watching your career transformation for so long. I've been watching your transformation for so long, you know, 10 years of knowing you and where you have come from and all of the ways that, you know, you've shown up for yourself in your life in ways that nobody else would have. You have chosen to be scared and to do things anyway over and over and over again. And I was thinking about, like, I'm getting all teary while I talk about this, but... Aww. I was thinking about that first show and how amazing it was and how you brought all these people together for years and helped them with the kind of thing you and I have done. And it's so hard to do. And 
you really have given a lot of people permission and shared this wisdom with so many people. And I'm just so proud of you. Oh, thank you, Callie. I love you. (laughs) I love you too. Yeah. You know, they wanted to hold me back in kindergarten because they thought I was quote unquote slow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, like the things I've achieved in my life are statistically an anomaly and also mm -hmm. because I've been reparented. You know, I think, I think that honestly college was like the reparent. It's like, oh, those are my parents now. Like acquiring knowledge, mm-hmm. acquiring arcane knowledge especially is, <laughs> is how I have come back to myself. You know? well, we, we call him Daddy Young for a reason. <laughs> Thank goodness for Young. I love you, Callie. Thank you. <laughs> I love you too. I know. I think that's the first time I've audibly cried on the podcast because typically you break first and my, yeah. <laughs> my trauma response to other people crying is, I no longer have emotion. I'm here <laughs> to help you. So uh, enjoy, public. <laughs> it's my emotion for your consumption. Welcome. Welcome, Callie, to the side where we're crying for the public. <laughs> you know what? If I get paid to cry for the public, great. I do it for free all the time. I was going to say I wish I could get paid to cry for the public. <laughs> Instead, I get paid to be with other people crying, um, which is just as good. So alchemy, you know, when you started talking about trauma and then how that can be transformed did you know that the process of alchemy starts with death? Hmm. It starts with death. Like in, t- in the tarot, it's like in the middle, mm-hmm. right? Life, death, rebirth process. No, alchemy starts in blackness, in the void. Mm. It starts with pain and suffering. Okay, before you explain the process, does that mean that alchemy is also inclusive of the concept of reincarnation? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't think that Eastern philosophy had made its way to this particular ideology, but I think one could say that it is a process of rebirth. It's a rebirthing process. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about it. <laughs> what happens after death? <laughs> Just More tell death. me about that. <laughs> so we begin in the shadow. We begin with the shadow work. So, I am going to be using a four-stage process of alchemy. There's also a seven and 12-stage process of alchemy. I use the four-stage because that's what Carl Jung used. And um, I will tell you in a moment how Carl Jung relates to all of this. You start with lead, which represents blackness of the soul, the void, um, death, suffering, trauma, pain. You start there. And then you move into illumination. That's the second step of the alchemical process. So we've taken that lead and we've done magician-y alchemical things of which I don't think a lot of people know what the alchemists were actually doing. At least I don't. Let's just say that. And that is a purification process. You are illuminating the environment that was once dark. If we're looking at this through a trauma lens, you're becoming aware of your trauma. You're becoming aware of your triggers. You're becoming Mm -hmm. aware of your pain. Trauma is very much about keeping things away, memories, relationships, anything that might be activating to our arousal states and upset us and dysregulate us. We We try to keep it away. And trauma work is about bringing it back. Same with alchemy. So we first illuminate. Then we can look around and we can see. We can purify our sight and see what's around us. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? 
I mean, I think you're right that it's exactly reflective of, you know, the little story that I shared about how trauma leads to superpowers or just perpetual (laughs) suffering. Right. Which is, yeah. I mean, there's suffering here. You know, the perpetual suffering would be to remain in the first stage of alchemy, to never illuminate, to never see. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. lead is poison. Yes. 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 Yeah. But, you know, if you're viewing this symbolically and through a trauma lens, you can take the poison and turn it into something precious. It doesn't mean that you liked being given poison. It just means that you don't have to fucking keep it. Lemons to lemonade, bitch. Yes. Yes, exactly. This is a very much lemons to lemonade kind of uh, process. And after the purification stage, the illumination, we get to elucidation, the yellowing the yellowing of the material, the material's turning yellow and being fried on a little pan by a guy in a robe who's adding, <laughs> you know, little tinctures and shit. I don't know, something Why like that. Why are you describing <laughs> making meth right now? Like... <laughs> Why is Walter White in our <laughs> podcast? Fuck me up, Kelly. A little guy in a robe is adding vials to his basement laboratory. Science, bitch. <laughs> Am I Walter White? Are you Jesse? <laughs> oh, man. That's one I couldn't get into. My trauma cannot do... It's so stressful, dude. I love that, that show. show. Maybe I could get through it now that I'm in my 30s, but when I tried to watch it when I was on, it was so stressful. I need I need a a little bit of trite happy ending. I mean, are our meth manufacturers not alchemists? <laughs> like aren't I mean, come on now. No, no value judgment. None at all. I don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. Um <laughs> I want to keep methamphetamines away from me and everyone I love. Um and also, it's a kind of magic. It's potions. Wow. Yeah. Potions are everywhere. Alchemy is everywhere. Yeah, even in a trailer somewhere in the desert. Um, So, so, you know, the elucidation is about uh, the, like, what to do with the seeing. So pretend you walk into a room and it's black and you're bumping up against shit. You don't know what it is. You turn on the light, illumination. You can see all the stuff. Oh, finally, I can see the stuff. Oh, I got to do something about the stuff now. What do you mean? I don't... Oh, fuck. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Everything's becoming refined. Yeah. You know Mm -hmm. all about that, right? Uh, Yes. I describe this to my clients as a dirty pond. Um, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but if you haven't heard that episode, uh, you know, when you start working on yourself, it's kind of like you get to this really polluted pond and you can see the floating, you know, tires and the water is totally like brown, green, black. And you can see what to get first. And that feels like an easy first step. But then after, you know, you pick the big bits of garbage out and you work on the water quality and you can see down, you see there's a lot of stuff on the bottom of that pond. And so, you know, you do that work. But then once you clear that up and the water is crisp and clean, you can see the monsters lurking in the very, very bottom. And that is terrifying. But even though every layer, it's like bigger and bigger shit, 
you were never more prepared for each layer than you are now. Like you've done the work, you've gotten that far. Just because it's bigger than what you've seen before, it doesn't mean you're not ready. Yeah, exactly. That's a great, a great parallel there. Yeah, the pond analogy works wonderful to mirror this process. And this is a pretty stressful part of the process. Mm-hmm. And it's after that, the fourth step is transformation. This is co- connected with the color red. So we have black, white, yellow, red. I chose those as the um, all of my colors when I graduated. <laughs> so I was very intentional. I, I chose yeah. the alchemical colors. And this is the integration of the shadow. And this is where we're going to bridge over into why Jung was so into this. Because, yes, the alchemists were literally, again, trying to, like, you know, do little chemical experiments to make things into gold. And at the same time, they were doing spiritual practices of magic, astronomy, astrology, botany. Um, They were doing all of these esoteric practices in conjunction with the science of it so that they can really mirror it. So their internal process would mirror it. And Carl Jung, who other than Sigmund Freud and um, there's some other folks definitely, but, you know, our forefathers of modern psychology, we got Jung and we got Freud and right. So Jung is really, really prominent. Most of us aren't Freudians. (laughs) Like Freud was such a cokehead weirdo. And uh, (laughs) we, we really love Jung and Jung was a mystic. He was very into tarot, alchemy. He studied religion, symbolism, and mythology. And that is how he created his foundational theories. The collective unconscious is one of them. Like every single psychology nerd knows what the collective unconscious is. That's your ego, your id, and your superego. We also have the process of individuation, of which, again, all modern psychology is seeking individuation, helping our clients individuate from trauma, from dysfunctional family systems, from oppressive systems, what have you. And he also had a theory called anima and animus, which was the masculine and feminine. And Mm -hmm. trying to balance those energies, you know, he believed that everyone has all of those energies. And alchemy mirrored the process of becoming balanced with your anima and animus after you had done shadow work. So Jung said that the shadow as an alchemy, that's, that's where we start in the process of individuation. So it's that process that mirrors alchemy. We start with shadow. We look at what is dead to us and what is not working for us anymore. And then we kill the parts of ourselves that are hostile to the shadow. We don't kill the shadow We kill the parts that are not allowing the shadow to be seen, that can't accept the shadow. So this Mm. might be seen as, you know, resolving your defense mechanisms. Um, Those of us that are traumatized are just a bundle of defenses. Like most of the time we're defending ourselves because Mm -hmm. our core belief is that we're not safe. So Mm -hmm. it is the process of many a helping profession, all of them, you know, that I can think of is to help change our coping, right, to healthier coping, for instance. That could be seen as trying to kill off the parts of the self that cannot integrate the shadow. The process of individuation is about integrating the shadow so that you can balance the anima and animus, those two opposing forces within you, and the goal being to become hermaphroditic which is Hermes mm. and Aphrodite together. Mm, I know, that. right? Yeah. Okay, so I'm curious. You know, we talk a lot about reparenting and, like, loving the broken parts. Do you feel like 
you know, sitting down with that wounded inner child, which is so intrinsically involved in, in those, you know, resistant defensive parts. Like, do you feel like that is in opposition of the concept of killing the shadow, hating self? Um, not necessarily. I mean, honestly, I would look at this more from an internal family systems perspective. And IFS, very briefly, um, is you have an exiled part. That's usually a child part, a traumatized part. And then you develop um, uh, what are called managers or firefighters to stand in front of that part. So let's say you feel rejected. You know, many of us deal with rejection sensitivity, right? You feel rejected. So like me, my ma- my manager comes front and is like, fuck you. If I feel rejected by someone, then I have a manager part that comes in and does that. The goal would be to kill off that part. <laughs> or an IFS, it wouldn't be to kill it. It would be to give it a different job. But from Jung's perspective, it was about removing that part because that part is actually working against its old goals. Like, you know, we want to be loved and accepted in the case of uh, mm-hmm. rejection sensitivity. So mm-hmm. when some when I feel rejected by someone and then I'm like, oh, well, fuck you. Well, then I definitely work against my goal of being accepted, don't I? Mm. Yeah. So we want to get rid of those defenses. The question mm-hmm. is how and then what do we do differently? I mean, there's so much that's wrapped up in that. You don't just you know, close your eyes and visualize and go like, leave me alone. Like, no, they're there for a reason. (laughs) They're there for a reason. They're defending something that is really vulnerable. What a great clarification. Thank you. Yeah. Reassigning the jobs. I, cause I was trying to think of like, oh, okay. So, you know, these defensive parts are like an abusive husband. No, <laughs> I was trying to come up with role models, but a firefighter, you know, who doesn't like the house isn't actually on fire. Why would you have a firefighter there? I mean, and some of us have an internal firefighter that's mean to us, that is self-abusive right. and self-critical. And right, right. Young was like, we got to get rid of those. Those got to go because they're mad at you for having a shadow. They're mad at you. They don't want that there. They think mm-hmm. it's a problem because it's in pain. Right. If your inner firefighter is constantly like, hey, you need to replace every outlet in this house or it's going to light on fire. And you know what? That's your fault. It's your fault that you live in this house that's going to have a fire someday. It's your fault. Fuck you. Yeah. I mean, the inner firefighter, we just need to do an IFS episode. Honestly, it's really cool shit. It's like rage. Like the firefighters, like, oh, the manager won't do it. No problem. This shit's really bad, isn't it? <sighs> you know, and it really just it obliterates. It's like when you cut off from someone and don't speak to them anymore. That's a firefighter, you know. Uh, sometimes we do need to do that to stay safe, right? Like those parts do have a function. Again, they're there for an important, an important aspect, and also they do keep us from living fully. The goal of IFS and the goal of alchemy and the goal of Jungian psychology is the integration of self. And you can't integrate if you can't bring in those little exiled pieces, those little dark parts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. A firefighter shows up when there's a fire to put out. That is its job, right? Like the world needs firefighters. It just doesn't need them to fill every role of every job because they're going to think everything is a fire. They're going to treat everything like a fire. And also they're going to be hosing down all the pastries in the bakery they work at. You know? <laughs> what croissants? Who wants that? <laughs> I want a crispy let, croissant. 
Don't let your firefighter ruin your bakery, a.k.a. your life. Uh, <laughs> this analogy is going really far. Um, I don't know how we got from alchemy to bakery on fire, but I am here for it. Because you're alchemist. Uh, listen, baking is alchemy. So that's I mean, how we got yes, there. You're right. You're right. And and are bakers going on a spiritual journey? I don't know. It depends on the baker. The alchemists <laughs> were. They were doing spiritual work and they were doing alchemical magic at the same time. And Carl Jung saw that and he was like, that's really fucking smart. That's my quote. Carl Jung actually said that. No, he didn't. But he did. <laughs> But he did look to these ancient myths and ancient wisdom to come up with what we're using today. Have you heard the good news about Carl Jung? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, do we have more on alchemy for the episode? Nah. So we do have more on alchemy in a very specific context, we are going to be talking in our Patreon bonus content today about how to utilize alchemy in creative collaboration. As Amber and I have been dear friends for 10 years, cousins for longer, but we didn't know. We didn't know. And how many times do I tell people? Constantly, probably every day. Um, I'm so proud to have a cousin. She told someone <laughs> in a 7-Eleven, so... <laughs> She's like, did you know that were that's, That sounds true. I <laughs> believe that. I believe that I did that. Um, and <laughs> we're going to be talking about how we balance each other in our creative collaboration and how we work through, you know, the difficulties because no relationship doesn't have them. But we're going to be applying an alchemical lens to how to be in collaboration at all with another person and whether that's creatively, romantically, magically, platonically, whatever. All the Lees, all the Lees. If you are in relationship with anyone named Lee, uh, (laughs) this bonus content is going to be for you. But also we have over, I think, 35, more than 35 pieces of bonus content now on Patreon. So if you just can't get enough of the podcast, meet us there because we put really high quality content out, a lot of guides. There's like how to cast a circle. We talk about our personal lives. So if you're interested in us as humans, which like, oh, why wouldn't you be? We're both so fucking cute and smart. (laughs) Um, and we laugh at ourselves, uh, <laughs> then go join our Patreon. Yes, and, yes, and. Um, I have a review to read from Turner, who we're going to interview lately, and he texted me and said, I want to get yes, and as knuckle tattoos, because <gasps> you've just been listening to the podcast. I love that. Me too. <laughs> I might do the same thing, Turner. Don't hate I know. me. I know. I might do it too. I don't have any knuckle tattoos, which is a crime. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. What's the review? I want to know. Okay. So, Queer Farmer Smitten with Podcast. I discovered Pocket Coven Podcast at the perfect moment. I had quit my professional career of 10 years, bought 12 acres of land with my husband, moved into a yurt, and started farming. Along with building a new relationship with the land, I started building a new relationship with myself by putting in the work to heal from childhood trauma. All of this has affected my spiritual beliefs. Amber and Callie have been essential guides as I enter this new phase in my life. The intersection of magic and mental health work has been so incredibly beneficial for me on this journey. 
It's to the point where I associate different parts of the farm with different episodes, depending on the chores I was doing while listening. Oh, <laughs> I love that. I can't wait to meet the shadow of the bad witch part of the farm. <laughs> Visiting our market gardens will always remind me of tarot and our compost pile will always remind me of Beltane. I love this podcast and I look forward to each new episode knowing they are there with me as I walk this path. Oh, I love that we're there with you too, Turner. I can't wait to come see the farm and interview you. Yeah, we'll be doing that in a few weeks. Oh, I'm so excited for everything that is to come. And if you are wondering when we're going to be in Europe, so are we. We're still deciding. So stay tuned and we will be announcing it. But if you are one of our European listeners, please reach out if you have a place that you would like to maybe host like a live show or if you just want to get together and have a little witch circle with us. We're looking to bring our magic to Ireland and England and maybe Scotland, um, possibly some other places. We're hoping for Iceland, but let us know where you're at and if you want to meet up with us because we want to meet you. Hells yeah. Brims up, witches. 